Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today is a first. It is my first interview with a film editor. Welcome to the show, Jim Page. Hello, thank you ever so much for having me. So just for a bit of background for people, uh, I was aware of, you, of the film Shepherd that you worked on, starring Kate Dickey. Uh, you're also recently working on something for Disney. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I, uh, I'm doing a film called, well, it's currently called Worm Eater, but I think the title's going to change. It's a kind of, it's a weird kind of folk horror film uh, for Disney Hulu. So it'll be on Hulu in America and then Disney Plus here, I think. So I've just finished working on that literally last week uh, and they're doing lots of visual effects and stuff. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, at the moment I haven't got anything lined up. So if you need your car cleaning, do let me know. Uh, people out there. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say, Shepherd's widely available in the UK. On VOD now after having its premiere at uh, London Film Festival late last yeah, year. Yeah, you know, that was that was a great moment. That was a proper dream come true. That was ever since I was at college. That was one of the things. That was a, a box ticked for me. So, well, before we get into it, then how was you know a premiere at London Film Festival? I mean, it was just a screening, really. I mean, it's just a screening, and then the director comes up on stage and waffles for a bit. But it was it, it's more just sort of what it represents. You know, you I've been making stuff for a while and. I've done indie films, some of which are good, some of which aren't that great. Mm. Um, but then, what you know, it's a, it's a sort of a recognition of a certain level of quality and a level of, you know, when, when other people, when a festival like the BFI, um, you know, they say, this is good enough for us to put our name behind. Mm. You know, that that means something. And, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it, 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 it like I say, when I was at college, you know, it was always a dream to kind of go, I've had something in at the London Film Festival and, and I'd had a short at the London Film Festival and that was obviously really exciting as well. But to have a, a feature that I'd edited um, was was proper special for me, yeah. Nice one. Now, I'll put a link in the show notes so people can get in touch if they need you to clean their car uh, and see <laughs> all the work you've done. But what we're going to do is uh, look at what the job of the editor is with you, which I'm really grateful for. You've given me a, a, pre, a pre-prepared list of headings to follow. We'll do them one at a time. And for those that aren't familiar with the format, it's five times five minutes, which means there's a clock running, and at the end of five minutes, a dog will bark, uh, as, as as the alarm of my want does do. There's no pressure, obviously, for Jim to uh, to, to stop talking, but it is a, it is a, it is a measure that our five minutes come to an end, and we're going to move on to the next one as soon as we can. That seemed clear to you, Jim? 
It makes sense to me, yes. Let's see how I get on, because I do tend to talk a bit too much. Well, you've got five minute minute chunks to talk as much as you like. In the five tips to being an editor, the first one we've got is being an editor is different to editing. It's interesting because like the process of editing itself, i.e. like working at the computer and building and telling the story and moving the clips around and all that kind of stuff, is actually only a certain part of the job, you know, of being a professional at least. Mm. Um, A huge part of the job really is like the hustle, both trying to kind of network and develop your connections because your reputation is kind of everything. You know, I, I've I've rarely gotten a job from applying. Um, instead, it's been about working on projects, starting off small, uh, and trying to put my name in the minds of the right people. Um, for instance, I started out doing like dodgy corporates and wedding videos, and um, I did some brief work at um, a, a sort of adult channel style okay. uh, TV thing. Um, I even did a thing where I drove 200 miles to do um, a 50 quid corporate uh, shoot. Um, And it was just because I wanted to get experience and, you know, try and put my name out there and build my reel and all the rest of it. And then, but alongside that, I was making short films and cutting short films for like up and coming directors and some directors who've gone on to do good things, some directors who aren't even doing it anymore. But again, you know, it's all grist to the mill. It's Mm. all kind of learning your craft. And eventually one of those shorts was seen by a TV director who decided he wanted to work with me. And then I was off to the races. So, um, and so really that kind of leads on to the point of like the second part of that hustle is managing your relationships. Um, you know, it's not enough just to be like a technical whiz or uh, someone who knows how to, um, you know, tell the story in the first place. Actually, like initially, it's about your relationship with the director. You know, you have to be in sync with them, um, able to dial in and interpret their words to deliver the vision. But it's also being able to like push um, and interrogate that vision uh, to make the project the best it can be. But you've got to be able to do that respectfully and collaboratively. You, mm. know, you can't be someone saying, "Oh, that's rubbish. That's wrong. No, I don't like it like that," because you know this is a this is a conversation more than it is a. Uh, than anything else. And that's kind of part of the dark arts, I suppose, of of the job. You know, and and in an ideal world, you'd want to get to like a third better end result, which is just not to implement the the, the vision, but to improve on the director's idea. And And then the other layer is like, you have to work with producers and exec producers who also all have their opinions and points of view. And they want, you know, they want to have their say. And again, being able to work collaboratively and positively with people like that uh, is essential or your career won't go very far. You know, sometimes you'll get notes from from outside of the edit, which you'll bristle at. And, you know, you'll, you'll you know, and I think sometimes producers or execs get kind of labeled with the kind of, you know, the suits. They're the people who don't understand, you know, they're not the artists or whatever. But actually you often get really insightful notes because they have that distance from the project. Um and you just have to sort of deal with it. You know, that's that's part of being a professional. And like in any job, if you're working at a supermarket and you're, um, you know, a mid-manager, then the area manager is going to want to tell you what they think. And it, it's how you deal with that that decides whether your career is going to go anywhere or not. How how do you how do you play like pig in the middle? What if your what if your suits are saying one thing, 
and a well, director I've, I've wants another. I've definitely had that in, in the past. I mean, some, often it literally comes down to who has the final say. Yeah. And and the important thing is to do, is a not to take it personally because sometimes you know it's separating um, the work you've done from um, you know from other people's opinions, but also it's about um, again as long as everyone involved understands th- their position in it, you know ultimately in my role you have to do it. So it's whether or not um, you know I could easily walk away from a film if I didn't want to do something, but that A, wouldn't be very good for me. But also I think I've been, had situations in the past where the director has said to me, well, I'd rather you did it than get someone else in who doesn't know the material, doesn't know the film. Um, You know, so I sort of become their proxy in the process, but it's, you know, it's more, obviously it's more of a difficult situation for the, for the director. Mm. Um, But, um, that's what I was thinking. I think, it's like because because you've got you've got self interest versus versus the the sort of uh, what do you call it? Almost like an autocratic view of view of how to do it. You know, this yes, this, which is you know that's a relation. You're not in that relationship. You're working on the film, aren't you? You're, but you're having to deal with that yeah. relationship at the same time. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's difficult. Oh, there was the dog. The there dog he goes. That's that's being an editor is different to editing. So try even if you don't agree. Yeah, so that's actually led us on to quite a good point, really, is that you have to try. Like, as hesitant as you might be, as convinced as their notes, you know, won't work, and I'm talking about the director or the producers or whatever, it's both a requirement of your job. You know, if Mm. you refuse, you can be replaced Mm. because your job is to, you know, part of your job is to kind of enable other people's or facilitate other people's kind of thoughts. And it's a professional courtesy. So, you you know, you, you... you that's why you want to sort of try these things but also sometimes it can lead to like really great things i mean you know it, i think i'm pretty good at keeping a distance from from the material and and, and work and whatever but you know you you often get too, too close or too tied to sort of certain parts of the film um parts that you think or parts of it that you think are essential um and sometimes it takes a disruptive note to make you re-examine it. It, it takes mm. someone saying, oh, we think that's rubbish. And initially you might go, what the, that, that's the best bit of the film. But, it, you know, there's that classic thing in screenwriting, as you all know, is, you know, killing your darlings. Mm. You know, it's um, sometimes you might, you know, a bit on its own might work, but you need to kind of remove it for the for the greater good. Mm. Uh, and and you often need someone, and a really good exec producer, I've worked with some really good people who are able to be, who are able to be insightful um, in that way and be able to come in at the end of the process and say, well, actually, we think this, this, and this. And it makes you go, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? that of course that makes sense. Because the thing is, you can't have all the good ideas and you can't know, like, the outcome of everything. Like, everything that you're doing, you know, very few people, even Stanley Kubrick needed a DP and needed an editor to help him, Mm. you know, tell the stories he wanted to tell. Um, And even if that initial idea doesn't work, it might identify an issue that they are sort of pointing at, but not necessarily having a solution. Because sometimes they might say, oh, cut that character out about halfway through the film. And what they really mean is we don't understand or don't care about that person. So it might mean that actually you need to go earlier in the film and but and explain that character's this motivation. Is, this is in, in writing. You have the the note the note behind the note, as it were. So it's like yes, exactly. The note might not make sense. So try and think why they're making that point. 
is exactly that is the thing you're trying to work out in the end. And and it might then spark like a different, better idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's ultimately, you know, the aim, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, Do you do you prefer to see the material before shooting? I.e., do you do you is it better to be on a project at script stage and then wait what comes through from the from the production, or is it more exciting to come in cold with a shoot that's done and away you go? You've got to read the script and to see if you, because obviously you're spending months of your life working on something. So if you suddenly get a film in that you go, oh, actually, I don't like this at all, then you're a bit stuffed. But like, so I like, so at the very least, you'd want to read the script. Yeah. But I think sometimes as an editor, you can kind of help with the writing of it because you know what's needed, what isn't, what's missing, what is perhaps like it, too indulgent. Um, and I've hopefully I've developed a relationship with filmmakers where they um, they respect my opinions and they know that they can send me a script and I can be a good script editor for them. Mm. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it, it's the cheapest point that you're making a film is when you're writing it. Well, exactly, so that's why I ask. It's, it's interesting. If you don't it? need to write, you know, if you don't need to film that scene, yeah. then you could end up saving thousands of quid that you could then spend on something else. Or, or conversely, if you've missed something, then you need to rethink about it. You know, there's definitely been situations where we've had to go back and reshoot some stuff because, you know, we've missed some stuff out. And I will, I will say, I did tell them so. Uh, <laughs> you know, there were certain things that we didn't need and we did need. You know, so. Um, so is it in the sense then? Is, is do you, do you read? I mean, it sounds it sounds like I'm, I'm being abstract, but do you read it as an editor then? You know, when you're 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 seeing because obviously we're told as screenwriters that when it says. When it goes into when it goes slug line slug line, that's a cut. And obviously, but within within that bit, every time you start a new action line, essentially you're cutting, aren't you? At least that time. Well, it's one of the weird things about being an editor is is I mean, I personally like I can go and see films and quite happily not notice the edits if they're good, you oh. know, if they're good films. So, and some editors really struggle to watch stuff because they notice they see all the joins. You know, it's like being in the Matrix; they see all the detail. But when it comes to a script. Um, I'm able to do both, really. I can enjoy it, but at the same time, I've got half a mind on going, okay, well, that'll be like that. That'll be constructed that way. All the dogs cutting us off. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think you just sort of, it's a weird schizophrenic thing which mm. you have when you're making the film, but also when you're reading it, is you're going, okay, well, this is what the story is, but also this is how it, how I think it's going to be constructed. And that moment there, how are they going to transition to that bit? Um, you know, that's going to need a specific camera shot. I'm not sure it's going to... And then you can discuss that with the director and see what they kind of plan to do with certain things and just flag stuff up, mm. you know, and to say, if you're going from that shot of that door, maybe cutting on, cutting to something else um, and then cutting back to the door again might feel a bit bouncy or a bit repetitive or... Because, you know, writing something is very different to... You know, really good scripts are visual, like, uh, tools. Of course. Sometimes... But but like the not so good scripts are the ones that are writing to be read as opposed to be made, mm. um, and I think um, you know I think you can sort of tell that, and and I suppose my job is to kind of interpret that. But yeah, I mean ultimately, obviously, it's other people's um, you know jobs to interpret that thing and make it. But I do like to kind of, uh, but then when you get in the edit, you kind of have to you know use the script as a guide, but you kind of have to go. Well, we haven't got that script anymore. We've got the footage. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is what we've got to use. So yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's something that we've covered a lot. You know, the whole idea of you write a film, you shoot a film, and you edit a film, and they're 
they're almost like three iterative process of development themselves, aren't they, in the end? Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Right then, sir. Number three on your list is talented arsehole theory. Who's talented and who's the arsehole? <laughs> uh, well, me, probably. <laughs> you know, obviously, having said all that about, like, working with people and trying to kind of develop relationships and stuff, um, life is very short. And I think I've realised that more and more as I get older. Hmm. Um you know, I've learned to my cost the sort of the effect on my mental health of working with, um, you know, just not good people, people who are not in it for the best reasons, people who are mean spirited, um, people who don't value your role. You know, you they see you as a pair of hands that are an extension of them. Um, you know, if someone is not pleasant to work with, it's usually not worth continuing, usually not worth working again because. Not only are they unlikely to go far, because actually one of the weird things about this business is there's a lot of egos and there's a lot of unpleasant people, but actually a lot of the successful people are very pleasant and very nice mm. because they understand that it's about the marathon and not the sprint. It's about developing relationships and, you know, basically forming teams and all the rest of it. So then, you know, someone who is, you know, disruptively unpleasant um, isn't going to go that far, but you also, you're not going to want to work with them anyway. So it makes for sort of a pointless exercise. You know, if I'd made a film and the director, and I didn't get on with the director at all, then it doesn't matter if they're going to edit, if they're going to direct, you know, a Marvel film. Uh, well, maybe in that example, maybe I'll, you know, bite my tongue and, and carry on with it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it doesn't matter what their next project is. You're going to think very, very, you know, hard and, and long about whether you even want to do that again. Because editing, you know, it's the same with writing, but editing is a long process. Mm. And it's a very mentally taxing kind of, you know, it's not working down a mine, obviously, but it's, you know, it's, it's taxing. Um, and I've had, uh, I've been open about it, I've had like mental health problems my whole life, really. Right. And I know the effect that working with really positive people, and really good people, and also working with negative people has on me. Mm. Um and I, like I said, I think life's just too short to work with unpleasant people. And, and thankfully, I know a lot of producers who basically have a no arsehole policy on set. Yeah. So as soon as someone is a dick, they're like, well, this is, that's it. We're not, you know, you're not coming back tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take, I mean, I know from from being on just, just even the smallest shoot, one person is enough to disrupt everybody. Completely. In terms of sort of toxicity. Poisonous. Yeah, it poisons the atmosphere. And, and if you're working with people who, you know, I've had in the past where people who feel the need to be in control, mm. even if they are already in charge, the people who want to be seen as in charge, you mm. know, it just makes everyone else feel like they're just a cog in a machine and they're not, you know, you know, th this is supposed to be a fun job. Mm. And it, most of the time it is. But when you're working with people who's, you know, whose attitude is... Um, you know, I don't care about you as a person. I only care about getting this film made. Um, I think that's just the wrong way of wrong outlook on life. And I just don't want to be around people like that. So, And also in, in a collaborative medium, it's also the best way to guarantee, to guarantee you won't get the best ideas out of the people you're working with, because why would they Completely. Be, be enthusiastic to volunteer anything? Exactly. And you'll just do the bare minimum and you'll see it as a chore rather than a joy. And, you know, it's just not, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. You might as well go and work somewhere else, doing something else um, that makes you, you know, around positive people and nice people. I mean, obviously, you know, there's there's the realities of jobs and, and you know, making money, and especially at the moment with, with things how they are. 
you know, and it's not to say that every time someone says something to you you don't like, you're like, right, I'm downing tools, I'm going home, you're not being nice to me. Mm. You know, you have to kind of balance it out. But after a certain point, you know, certainly on a feature film where you're working with someone for weeks and months on an end, you know, you get to know people very intimately. I think that's always one of the weird things about filmmaking is you have these very kind of intense relationships with people for like short periods of time in a mm. weird kind of way. So, you know, people, everyone will become everyone's best friend on a sh- on a film shoot and then perhaps never see each other again. It's a bit like, it's like holiday romances, isn't it, in a way? It's like, a bit like that, yes. Sometimes literally. Um, <laughs> and um, and it's the same with, you know, with an edit. You know, you're, 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 you're kind of trying to mind meld with the director sometimes to kind of connect and, and oh. talk. And, um, and if you don't get on with that director, then... There's always, a, you know, it's not to say that you can't do decent work, but you're just not going to be able to, you know, you're just not going to be able to connect. It's a bit like football, you know, if you've got um, the best striker in the world, if the, if they're not getting on with the manager, then they're just not going to perform. Nice football Perfect metaphor. Timing. Nice football metaphor. Number four is don't edit. What do you mean by that? Well, I think you can get kind of bogged down. Basically, sometimes an edit isn't going well. Uh, you can't figure some, how to do something, can't figure something out. Um, you know, you're irritated by the person you're in the room with. Um, you know, there's sometimes, particularly towards the end of the process, when people are, uh, you know, the tensions can be quite high in a room. Um, sometimes the best thing you can do, I think this is true of like most jobs, certainly writing, is the best thing you can do is sort of just down tools and go outside and try and forget about it because mm. it's like in the same way as um you know you can never find your like your keys if you've lost your keys you can never find them if you keep looking for them mm. um your brain sort of needs to reset itself in order for you to to sort of come back to the work with like a fresh perspective i mm. suppose um but also i think some of the best editors are people who've got like really um like I've got interest in other things, I suppose, which sort of comes on to my next point. But it's um, you know it's important to um, to not get completely kind of absorbed. How, how do you how do you make time. time for 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 doing nothing for want of a better expression? I mean, I don't, I know what you mean because for writing, it's definitely true. Putting it in the drawer for a week or two weeks is often the best thing you can do because you can stare at the wall, and make your eyes bleed for as long as you like, but you still won't solve the problem. Whereas Put yeah. it in a drawer, read something else, go watch a movie, talk to someone about how tigers breed or whatever you might want to do that's going to take your mind away from it and then go back to it and you go, oh, it's dead obvious though. Um, yeah, yeah. So so how do, um, how do you build in that sort of time where you kind of... Well, I mean, it depends, obviously it depends on your schedule. So if yeah. you're like, you're working on a TV thing, you've got less time to... Um, you know, to have those moments. But generally during the pro people understand the process isn't just being chained to the desk and, you know, you must work 12 hours and get this done. I think within that you kind of have bubbles of, even if it's a case of like, I, I'm very uh, hard and fast about. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having a lunch break, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who will ever sit at my desk and eat a sandwich again, uh, unless there's an absolutely important thing, because people will expect it of you every time, and eventually you'll just never see the daylight, you know. Yeah. And I think it's, I think what's nice is the culture of work has changed, is changing over time, and I think people are more and more understanding of people's physical and mental health. Um, that that sort of attitude ten years ago might have been seen as being, you know, uppity or um, you know, arrogant, whatever, but now it's seen as, you know, self-care. And I think, you know, you, you just have to kind of, in a way, you have to protect yourself a little bit from the process. How do, how do you stop yourself becoming, I'm always fascinated by this, because that intensity and because you've got, you know, you've got that, you're trying to mind read the, the director at times and meld with them because obviously you want to, you want to create a shared vision, at least with them to start with. Um, mm. How do you avoid being like, blind to the film like what what you've done because obviously once you're kind of knee deep into the edit you've made loads of decisions obviously you can reverse any one of them but it's began to take a shape hasn't it so how do you see yeah. i never i could never get my head around it's a bit like i speak to people who buy films it's like how can you watch eight films a day for four days and know yeah. what's good anymore you know so yeah, in the yeah. same sense you know how can you sort of be watching a scene over and over again. I mean, this is, I'm speaking to the skill of the editor here, really, is, and begin to go, actually, if we did this, or there's a, there's a, there's a take with, with the back of somebody's head that will give us room for whatever. Yeah. How do you keep your mind open to what's possible? I mean, the short answer is it's difficult. You know, initially you are, you know, completely clean to it because obviously you haven't, you haven't been involved in the shoot. You don't know the stresses of that. Um, but over time, you do get kind of stuck on certain things. And, and you know, again, it goes to my point of, of being able to walk away from that. Like, I make a point of never watching something at the end of a day. Like, because I just, I, I just know that even if I watch it, I'm not going to be able to clear my mind enough beforehand to appreciate all the things I think need to be done on it. Whereas if I, and it's just as purely a psychological thing, if I come in first thing and watch it in the morning, then I will have had enough distance away from it to be able to go, oh, okay, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. Sometimes it's as much as, it's as literally as physical. Go on, finish your thought. Sometimes it's literally watching it on a different screen, watching it on a big TV where you're 10 feet away from it, being able to look at it in a different environment, hmm. um, you know, turning your body to a different turning your body to a different part of the room um, so that you're just not locked into that kind of, that mode of this is the edit. Uh, you kind of, there's lots of different things, you know, again, going for a walk, having coffee, you know, people, I had, I had a friend of mine who's an editor who said, I never see you editing, you just seem to be wandering the corridors drinking coffee. Huh. Um, and that is true, you know, I would make an effort like to just not be in the room a lot because, but for very reasonable reasons, I think, is that you don't want to get, you know, you don't you want to be able to see the wood for the trees, um, and the more you stare at something, the less you can see of it in a weird kind of way. Mm. Um, but I imagine that's the same as writing, isn't it? Where you, you know, you, you have to, you, you know, a lot of writing is editing, 
Um, I can't remember if someone famous said that once. Um, Writing writing is rewriting. (laughs) Yeah, rewriting is rewriting, exactly. So, you know, how do you deal with it? You know, that's how... I imagine it's a similar sort of thing. Yes, no, it's as if you can change the media up as much as you can, you know, writing by hand, typing, they're two different things. So you yeah. think differently when you do them. So there's there's the temptation sometimes to think, I've got to fix the script so you stay in your in your script software and you type and you type and you type. But actually your ideas are not getting any better. You're better yeah. off deconstructing a sequence or whatever onto index cards and suddenly yeah. you begin to see the jigsaw pieces that you've yeah. got of your scene. You go, oh, it's obvious now. I mean, it's not always that great eureka moment, but but that's hopefully what you're doing. And it, you know, you walk around the corridors, watching a different screen is like it's tricking the subconscious part of your brain where you know the answer is. And I'm guessing that's mm. what you're doing. You know, you're playing, you're literally playing mind games with yourself, but in a pleasant way, because yeah. you kind of you're not going crazy. You're actually trying to get something out that doesn't want to come out just yet. I mean, out of interest, yeah, exactly. I, I'm the thought dawned on me while you were talking there is that you know, you, you hear the classic. The old the old record producer thing, which is you put it on tape and then go and listen to it in the car and you know what you've got. Is there yeah. a kind of film edit equivalent <laughs> where where you go? Yeah. You watch it watch it on um watch it at home on your TV. Okay. You know, you, you just export it or whatever and or <clears throat> you know, with things like Google um like Chromecast, you can kind of screen things to you know, I don't have a super fancy setup, I just take it next door to my uh to my living room. Um or like when we were, I was just at Pinewood working on this last film, we literally just said to them, can we go into the grading suite and just watch the film on a bigger screen? Um, and you, it, watching on a big screen makes a difference. You know, mm. It makes a difference to how you perceive things, but also what is obvious to you when you're, I don't know, 25 inches away from the screen. Yeah. It's not obvious to someone when they're 12 feet away from it. Um, and we had to adjust certain things to make certain things more clear, which if you're just watching it on a phone or a laptop or whatever, um, you're just not going to know. So sometimes it is about the physical space that you're in, I think. No, absolutely. No, I totally agree. It definitely is true for writing, for um, sure. And actually, when I'm when I'm reading scripts, like if I read them off a laptop, I respond to them differently than if I've got them in my hand written out, like a print, printed out. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Dear me. I like to go, I, I, the more I can lounge when I read a script, the easier it is to enjoy yeah. the script than yeah. if I sit here like I'm talking to you now, but looking at the screen, reading, it's, it's, it feels like I'm trying to, trying to file my teeth down. <laughs> there's no, there's no fun. It's like, oh God, I'm on to page 20. What am I going to do? Whereas <laughs> I've got a red pen and a piece of paper in my hand. I can, I can make notes and be, interact with the thing itself that, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, there was um, a story that Kevin Smith told about John Peters, who said he, he used to like to lie on a sofa and have the script read to him. Yes. And everyone was like, "Ha ha ha! How indulgent, and ridiculous!" But actually, I think there's there's some there's some benefit to that. To actually just lying on the, I think he had his hands out like it was a screen, mm. like looking at the screen is like like you know read it to me. But I actually think you know the, the if you can get away from the process of doing something and just get to the thing. You know, however you can do that, the best. I mean, yes, I mean, having someone reading it to you while you lie on a chaise lounge. Is well, probably- but to, to honestly, though, with the advancing of software now, you know, I, I, when I get to the point where I'm, I'm, my eyes are bleeding, you, I, I do press audio play on, on, on my computer and get oh, it to right. read it back to me. Does that work all right? Because I always worry about like it being too robotic. But does it? No, it works fine like because it? it's not you. You can still follow. It's interesting because you can follow it easier on the page because you're not having to do the heavy lifting. Because right. it's all being, you know, it's interesting how you can just dip in and out. And if yeah. you want to stop reading, you can just listen. 
and you get the flow of it, if nothing else. I mean, right. it's very much, it gives you the read, but sometimes it gives you some structural problems that you weren't seeing just in the read because you go, oh, that was a bump. And you, yeah, can, and, yeah. and you can hear it because someone something else is saying it to you. So I think yeah. there's something in it. And I know a lot of writers do it now It's because it's so much easier to do than it ever was before. I suppose it's a bit like having, you know, if someone else gives you advice, it's probably, you know, it, it, you, you, can, you can think something to yourself, but if someone else says it, it might make you go, oh, yeah, that's true. Well, table reads have existed for ages, and they're the same. I mean, if, you, if you're the yeah. writer sat at the side of a room listening to a bunch of people read the work, you can see it with different eyes than if you read it yeah. yourself, because suddenly their intonation, you know, oh, I hadn't, thought, I hadn't even thought about it being said that way before. And, the, and they're reading the action. So suddenly the way they're reading the action gives you a picture of how the action's taking place that when you wrote mm. it, you didn't intend it that way. But actually hearing them say it, you go, oh, it doesn't work. Or, wow, that's, <laughs> uh, I could just make that heighten that even further. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, finally then, and I think you've talked around this, so it'd be nice, I think, you know, it's clear, clear that you, this is something you believe in. So you are not the work. What do you mean by that? So I spent a lot of my 20s and 30s kind of really obsessed work you know i was i was hustling you know on the grind again not working down a mine but like really spending all my time all my waking hours doing projects shorts often unpaid trying to develop my own stuff um and not only did i get burnt out but it meant i missed out on a lot of kind of life experiences i think and those are life experiences that i actually i think i could have brought to my work Mm. Um, and it's only in, in in recent years that I sort of realized this, that like so much of the art that we produce is what we bring to it. You know, otherwise, like you could program a robot to kind of paint a picture, but actually what you're watching is not necessarily, what, what you're looking at is not necessarily the, you know, the, the, the paint on the canvas. It's the point of view of the artist. I know that sounds very pretentious, but. No, I like um, it. And so. Like a lot of like editor friends I have, you know, are you know, like they actively cultivate like completely different things in their life because they understand not only is it a more kind of interesting life, but it, they also understand that like other experiences, meeting other people, it kind of really helps you. But also the other second, the other part of it is like. If you if you kind of wrap your entire um, self esteem up in your work, then ultimately you're going to be disappointed because there's always going to be failures and there's always you know successes as well, but failures. There's going to be situations when you're talking to a producer where they'll say, "Oh, I don't like that cut." But if if that cut is directly connected to your self esteem, then you're going to be on the floor crying because you know again you know it, this is an art form mm. and this is what we. Um, we, you know, we we put our all into these things, and so it can be very difficult to kind of separate yourself from that. But you, ha- but but I think to have a happy life, I think you have to because, mm. um, you know, it's such a long slog, and it's such a, um, you know, there's so many ups and downs to, you know, in terms of a not just a project but a career. I think, of course, you know, and I, and, and I maybe naively feel like I'm still only, you know, a certain period away through my career. Maybe I'm towards the end. I don't know, but. Um, you know, I, I I like to think that, you know, th- there's more to come. Um, and I think you've got to protect yourself a little bit um, and and understand that people aren't, for the most part, people aren't being 
cruel or attacking you personally, um, you know, you're as an editor, you're you are being judged every frame that you cut or don't cut. Yeah. Um, and you've got to distance yourself a little bit from that. So I guess that's what I mean in in that in that regard is that even though you know you want to put all of your life and all of your your heart into this stuff, you also have to realize that there is a world outside of you of, of that work that is both beneficial to you but also to the work. Um but as I say, you you don't you don't want to get to the point where the success or failure of a film is going to break you. Um because often these are things outside of your, your control. Mm. I think um Steven Soderbergh said, um, you know, worry about the things that you can control and don't think about the things you can't. Yeah. And that really um that really connected with me because I, I've always been someone who's like, oh God, there's problems all over the place. I don't know what to do. You know, what if this happens? What if this happens? And it's only recently really that I've realized, well, actually, why don't you just focus on what you can do something about? Hmm. Like, you know, there, there, there's many kind of uh, things you can't sort out, but there are certain things you can deal with. Work on those and you'll feel much more... Uh, Effective. I've suddenly turned into like a Paul McKenna seminar at the end there. Well, but, no, there's, uh, there's a thing that, I mean, I'd certainly, when I've, when I've spoken to less experienced writers than myself or, or younger writers, uh, one of the things I say up front before giving them feedback is, we're trying to fix the script, not you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because cause obviously I understand because I do it myself. And, and you can, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with feeling like you've been rubbed up the wrong way when you get mm. a note you don't like. Yeah. But you don't have to demonstrate that you don't like it. You don't have to get angry about it. You don't have to defend it like it's a hill you're going to die on. Yeah. Because yeah. ultimately, it's going to lead to an answer or at least some clarity for you if you change nothing. You know, you understand, You at least can stick to your things. But but yeah, yeah, understanding that your work isn't you is, is, is I think, is, is a key to any kind of mental survival through this life. And there's the dog. Indeed. It almost knew. Well, look, we've reached <laughs> the end of our five. Uh, it's been very, very enlightening, and it's it's interesting. And I, I always thought and hoped there was some parallels between the writer and the editor. And it sounds like you know you've obviously got more to deal with because you've got a finished thing, and the, and everybody's everyone's got a view on it. But certainly that idea of, I guess, the diplomacy of it, the needing to try it, even if you don't agree with it, and all that kind of thing. I think the development of both is very similar, actually. I think um, as someone who's written some some things. Mm. Um, you know the the iterative process, the the kind of um, you know starting very rough and kind of refining it kind of process. I mean, I think writers probably still have the edge in terms of how difficult it is because I think, it, like you said earlier, it's a lot easier to look at something and change it than look at a blank nothing and create nothing out something out of it. So I'm you know I'm I definitely uh, you know defer to writers when it comes to that. But I think there was definitely you know huge parts of crossover. Um, but, the, but then, but then what the, the magic then of what, you know, to, to throw the compliment back at you, you know, the, the magic of what the editor can do is then if a film is produced and it just isn't working, there is the person there who'll say, well, looking at what we've got, which is all we can play with. <laughs> yeah. If we move this to here and that to yeah, there, yeah. it's saying something else, but it might be, a better movie yeah. and if you begin to un- unravel what was already decided into something yeah. completely new you can have something that's unrecognizable from what the script's saying i mean it's often yeah, yeah. i mean and to be honest with you, to be fair i think that does happen to a certain to a le- 
to a greater and lesser every degree film. On, on every film because we get we get the Hollywood best screenplays, but in reality, when you get to read them, are you reading the the script of the film that got made, or are you reading a script that got written before yeah. the film got made? Because they're not the same it's, things. It's why the editing award is just so difficult to kind of, and, and I guess why you know one of the reasons why the Oscars thought well people aren't interested in that, so let's put it on in the break. Um, because like, how do you tell if something's great? How do you tell if someone's edited something brilliantly? Like, if if you start off with a brilliant script and a brilliant cast and a brilliant director, is that harder to edit that than it is to edit a not a great script and not a great cast? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you'd have, you'd have to get each screener with with, with with a production notes that said, this was a doddle to edit. You yeah, wouldn't believe exactly. what the production was like on this that, that we gave the exactly, over to the yeah. editor. You almost need to show everyone the rushes first. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I mean, I mean, it's not. It, we didn't get to cover it, but I mean, it's come up a lot with directors. So, how much handholding do you do at the assembly edit thing? You know, the as 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 many directors called it, the suicide cut. Um, <laughs> you know, where you're both looking at something, and you're you, you're obviously looking for the opportunities, and and yet the person you're with is going, "Where's me film?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same every time, and all you have to kind of. All you can do is just say to them, look, there is a good film in here. Don't worry. All you're looking at at the moment is the mistakes and the failures and the things you didn't get. But I'm looking at the stuff, like you say, at the things that work. And, and you know, it's really down to the director to try and go on that emotional journey of going, okay, well, what I wanted is perhaps not entirely here, but we do have something else that might even be better. Mm. So let's sort of start on that. Um but that's one of the reasons why an editor is important, I think, because you have a clarity of what is as opposed to what could be, um, or, or what was, or what you wanted it to be. And mm. I think that's kind of, um, you know, we tend to be quite pragmatic people. Um, so, you know, and I think you have to be, you just have to be honest, really. Yeah, and also, without, you've got, you know, without going, what the fuck have you done? Just yeah, really- yeah, yeah, because you can, you can be that pragmatist that says, Looking at this, these rushes. What was your intention with these these shot these shots that you chose? Because then at least you can understand what they meant, even if it doesn't convey it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you find another way of trying to convey that, yeah. or you look at it and go, "Well, actually, it's not conveying that, but it is conveying this, and that's better or different or whatever." Yeah, it, it's it's a really difficult alchemy like kind of process that it's really difficult to, to explain um and i often feel like i'm going mad when i try and explain it because it's it's just it's so sort of weird because you're thinking about it frame by frame but also like 90 minutes or however long at the same time and yeah 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 you've got like a, you've got like a mini version like directors always talk about the idea of thinking in micro macro in the matter of seconds and you've got the similar thing haven't you you're you're, you're fixing a scene you know fixing a a, a bunch a couple of takes that go next to each other while at the same time thinking, does this sit in 95 minutes still? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are sort of like, you know, a slightly more chilled out director really in many ways. We just sort of, you know, we've had, we've all, it's almost like we've had someone else direct a film for us and mm. now we're going to get to, to play with their footage. Um, but we, you know, we, we think we have to think sort of uh, in a similar way. And just one last question before we finish. People often talk about films as having like a rhythm or a melody or something. Are you, are you is that something you're cognitive of when when you're making it? You know, you talked about repetition. So repetition is a, is a good thing, but repetition can obviously be a boring thing at the same time. Initially, you're just trying to make the bloody thing make sense and work, you know, and you know, individual scenes trying to make them have a beginning, middle and end 
making sure you're choosing the right sort of performances. Um, and then when you kind of start looking back on it, you kind of start going, okay, well, that bit's slow. We need to be a bit faster at this point. You know, the audience has to, um, uh, you know, isn't going to sit through six scenes that are very short, uh, that are very, um, the audience isn't going to sit through six scenes that are very, very talky. They need something to break it up, or at least one of those scenes needs to be more dynamic. And you kind of, again, think about it in a very pragmatic way. And it's only really the the kind of the rhythm of it reveals itself afterwards. Okay. It's not something that you're going, okay, well, we have to kind of think about so so in a way it becomes it becomes it becomes what the film is as opposed to I'm gonna do I'm an editor that does this type of <laughs> rhythm to yeah, a no, film. I think I think any editor who goes, Oh, I have a style is lying. Okay. Because what they mean is I've worked on a certain number of films that are similar. Okay. Um in stuff. I think um, you know, you wouldn't cut a, a merchant ivory, you know, costume drama the same way as you'd cut Transformers eight or whatever. Um, I wish you would. You know, you 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 can't. <laughs> that would be thinking about it. That would be better, wouldn't it? Um, you know, you you have to respond to the material and mm. the the kind of the energy of the script and the energy of the performances and and the way it's shot, and kind of try and convey that rather than trying to impinge, like oh, I only like doing long shots or I don't like to cut um, to close ups. It's like well, no, that's not the material. Will tell you if you need to cut to a close-up the material will tell you mm. um you know where you should be and it's just trying to listen to that and trying to get out of your own way a little bit i think is is better well look uh thank you for giving us your time on the britflix podcast uh, my absolute Sh- pleasure shepherd is widely available on vod there's a disney hulu feature on its way mm-hmm. and i will put a link to your website so people can check you out if they want to get in contact or see what you've done and yep. so yeah it just gives me to say thank you very much Thank you ever so much. I've really enjoyed it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.